0: It is Monday, but the Blue Bloods are here to make that Monday a little bit better for you guys. We start the episode off by discussing the situation in Manhattan, Kansas, and the potential boycott of the football team. And we then continue our recruiting re-rank where we re-rank past recruiting classes. And today we analyze the loaded 2015 class. And we wrap it up, only three segments today, with another 2021 recruiting update. And we head to look at the Louisville Cardinals today. We have a full show, even though it's only three segments, so let's kick it off. We want to start with this um, because, as we mentioned last episode, this is a great movement going across uh, college football. And this one kind of hit, hits a little bit home for me here. But late last week, Jaden McNeil, um, student at K-State, president of the American First Students Organization at Kansas State, tweeted, Congratulations to George Floyd for being drug free for an entire month. And this kind of had the whole Manhattan community in the uproar, and everyone was real, real upset about this. And T. Danson, current K-State cornerback, tweeted that he would refuse to play for a program that tolerates such ignorance like that. And um, Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year, Joshua Youngblood, echoed Danson's sentiment and called for the K-State administration to kick out McNeil. Um, Youngblood then released a statement on behalf of the entire football team that stated that the football team would not practice, meet, nor play until the university created a policy that allowed a student to be dismissed from the university for displaying openly racist, threatening or disrespectful actions to other students or a student group. So I usually defer to Brandon here, but I kind of want to take the lead on this one since this is happening, uh, you know, where i go to school. And, you know, I want to start off by saying, you know, I said this last episode, but I love to see these players finally realizing the power of their voices. I mean, um, an update from last episode, Mississippi is officially changing its flag, and it was kind of spearheaded by Colin Hill calling out the state that the flag was disrespectful to minorities, specifically African-Americans. And now in Manhattan, something positive maybe can come out of a horrible situation in my opinion. And I just want to give you guys an update. Um, Since information has come out recently, um, I don't know if it's out to the public yet, but I know some reliable sources that are within the SGA here, uh, but McNeil is now, utilizing far right groups and social media platforms to harass university officials and players for denying his first amendment rights and saying that they will uh, fund him to sue the university if he is removed based on the tweet and some boosters and alumni have also said they will sell their tickets if the kid is kicked out because he has the right to say what whatever he wants and um you know we're not a political podcast but i want to keep you guys you know informed on the topics we cover in this show and you know before we switch back to football i do want to say this since i am like personally in this community here at k-state and then i just want to say that i personally stand with these k-state athletes and the student body as a whole and i think we all demand change here because k-state likes to claim that it's a family and we can't claim to be a family and have people spewing this type of racist and sensitive rhetoric in our community. And I personally hope that the K-State administration and other officials make a swift example of McNeil and to show that this is not going to be tolerated. But Brandon, I kind of want to shift to you here, get your opinion and how this may affect the team as a whole. Let's just say if K-State is kind of got their hands tied and can't act appropriately and can't meet this demand that the k-state athletes have demanded and also just a heads up that the basketball team and other uh athletes that um have kind of stood behind the k-state football and said they will also boycott their sports if nothing is done
1: yeah it's definitely going to impact the, these these athletic programs or these schools i mean we saw you know the demands of kylan hill and mississippi state and we see what happened as a result of that um it look it it, these players truly hold the power now i don't want to say they hold all of the power they are still in college they are still amateurs technically it's it's nothing like what's going on in the nfl right now where patrick mahomes lamar jackson and other players are 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 threatening to not play for their teams if (laughs) you know if if things aren't changed but it's pretty similar I, i mean These players are still making money for their universities. Um, The only difference is the talent pool is a lot wider in college, and so they could pull, um, you know, maybe some of these recruits, maybe some players that aren't willing to take such a stand, Uh, you know. And and regardless of that, I I think what they're doing is right. You know, they need to they need to voice their opinions. You know, no matter what that opinion is, um, I believe they have the right to to say what they want, stand for what they want. And if that's what these K state players are wanting to do, if they're wanting to demand change, uh, by threatening to sit out uh, more power to them, you know, I I think they're standing up for a cause that they truly believe in. Um, and you know, if they do end up sitting out, it's going to hurt the university financially. And I think that's exactly what they are starting to realize. They're starting to realize they do hold some of this power and, uh, it's it's definitely something to see them uh, utilize this. You know, the coming to the realization that they do have power. You know, within their athletic abilities.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, if I was Chris climbing going into my second year after a really successful first year, I am recruiting well historically, way better than K State's recruited in the past. I mean, you have to be at the president's house right now, right, begging him to do the right thing. I mean you're like you said you're talking about millions of dollars i mean how many recruits and players and just the perception of k-state is are going to suffer i mean if i'm a recruit i'm committed to k-state i'm rethinking my commitment right now at least i mean how could you not
1: yeah i mean look th- there's always going to be something at a school that's unsavory um we know lsu kind of face the same sort of thing they have a a uh, student who's coming in this year who's who's made you know pretty publicly like like some pr- some racist statements. There were people calling um, for for the president of LSU's job because he wouldn't uh, deny him interest to in the university. I can't remember how this played out, but um, you know it, it's definitely not a great look. Uh, it's happening all over the place. So you know to see these athletes take a stand like they are is is definitely something that we don't historically see. Um, it's something that's, that's fairly new to college football, and, and you have to love to see it happen. You have to love to see, or you have to be at least curious to see how it's going to pan out.
0: Yeah, and you know, just also like, I mean, and the fact that you know, the players have to be frustrated, right? Because I mean, it it seems like, even though it might not be the case, I mean, the president already could have waited too long, and I don't think I, th- I think some players could have already made their minds up. I mean, this, uh, this happened, I believe on Thursday. We're already here recording on Sunday and nothing's been done. He, the president's released two statements saying that it's not acceptable, not tolerated, but no tangible action has been done. And I mean, as a, I mean, we've, we both have been, you know, a col- different big colleges where stuff like this has happened. And I'm sure there's a lot of legal things that he can't just act immediately, but I don't think that's going to fly for some people, especially in the climate. Um, of today. And I mean, McNeil's come back and came at players and called them um, homophobic slurs in his tweets and stuff. So I think even if the president acts like he should, I think there's some people that are going to be done. And I also want to talk about, you know, as you guys as our our listening base who has been here since the beginning knows, I mean, I came graduated from Auburn and now I'm at K-State and, you know, the student passion for sports is t- totally different from an SEC school like Auburn to you know K-State, who's a fairly successful Big 12 school. But, I mean, Brandon, these students leave at halftime. I mean, the, the student section is empty at halftime for just about every single game. I think I've been to one game where people didn't leave, and that was the Oklahoma game. And th- that's fair enough because they're beating the, what, number three team in the country. But uh, for, for most games, everyone leaves at halftime. The student body does not take up does not take well to anything. I mean, if a quarterback misses a throw, the student body is revolting in the student section. And there's just other things where people don't really pay attention. I mean, the interest is, is tough to come by in a city like Manhattan, Kansas and K state. And I think while the the thing you're struggling with is not only keeping the players here and keep making sure they're respected and safe and stuff, but what about the partial fan support you're going to lose Depending on what you do here, I mean, you already don't have the full student, all the students attention for these sports. And then what happens if you make the wrong choice and you not only lose a bunch of players, but you also lose most of the student body who also is not going to support this university.
1: Right. Absolutely. It's definitely going to be a tough look for Kansas State. And seeing how they handle this is really going to sway the opinions of a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and um just so you guys know, Chris Kleiman and other coaches at K-State have supported their players sitting out. Um and they and I believe Chris Kleiman said he would also join them in sitting out. So it's it's good that they have um his support, but I, I think this is gonna get real ugly before it gets better, Brandon, just based on some of the people I've talked to in the SGA said this isn't gonna go away anytime soon. So this this is gonna be a long dragged out uh, story, and we'll keep you guys updated. But we want to go on to a much, I guess, happier note. Uh, we don't want to sit on this all day, and you know. Uh, but we're going to go to our newer segment that we started, and that is where Brandon re rank um, past recruiting classes. And we uh, started with 2013. We're moving to 2015 today, and just a head, just a heads up in case you guys are new to our show or whatever. Uh, we only re analyze the top 100 recruits because. 247 ranks like the top 1500 we don't well, we that would take literally forever so we're going to do the top 100 pick our top five from there and this 2015 class was loaded it was headlined it it was headlined by trenton thompson who went to georgia and uh Marta's ivy who went to florida and they both have respectful college careers in the sec but as as someone who has looked at this recruiting class i don't think it's gonna i don't think either of them are gonna make uh either of our top fives and um i don't neither of them made my top 10 just that's how loaded this class was and i was i was struggling with a little bit of bias here there were some good auburn players in this class i know i know brandon probably struggled there was a few good lsu players in this class too so Brandon, as usual, we're going to snake this. Go in reverse order. So, who is your number five recruit in this two thousand and fifteen class?
1: So, first of all, Zach, I want to say not only are you low down, but you're also dirty for for only letting us analyze the top one hundred because uh, Joe Burrow was in was on this list. At number yeah, I knew that number, was coming at number two hundred and ten. So we couldn't we couldn't list him, but he was in there. Um, yeah, so, he would he
0: would most likely be number one, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually I have two quarterbacks on this list, but um, but to start, I'm going to go with my uh with my number five player um of this draft class, and you know Zach told me we're not looking at NFL at all, so good thing for that. I'm going with Josh Rosen at my number five player in this draft class. Um, I think Come he. Had, a, Are you serious? In college, he was fantastic. But, but.
0: Oh, man. I can't wait to go through my list. I cannot believe you put Josh Rosen over some of
1: these players. Oh, my Lord. I mean, you're acting like it's ridiculous. Over his career, he had a 61% completion rate. He had nearly 10,000 yards passing. And that's – I mean, his freshman season, his true freshman season, he had 3,669 yards passing. In his his junior season, right before he went to the NFL, he had 3,756. I mean, the guy – I mean, you remember him in college. I understand. He was a little bit unsavory talking about talking about schools in the SEC. And so we get we get it, Zach. You're biased. I mean, we understand. And so that's probably why you hate him. I don't really understand it. But I think he had a fantastic college career. And I think that he makes for a pretty good quarterback, especially in college. Um at UCLA he did fantastic things, you know, over over his career. Um I I I mean, I don't. I don't really know what to say. I, I'm the heart guy. I'm going with what I yeah, remember, Zach. That, that, you, you don't know what
0: to say because he's not a top five player in this class. That that's that is why you're running out of stuff to say. There's no way you looked at this class and he was he was a top five player. Wow. I am. I, I'm outraged on this
1: podcast right you now. Can um, be outraged. I mean, I'm you, upset. You can be whatever you I want. Mean, There's a reason I he just, was taken number ten in the draft. Right? Yeah, there, there there was, there was,
0: but it's because NFL teams reach for quarterbacks every year. I don't know about that. And I mean, I, listen, you say I have a bias. I only have two SEC players out of my top five. The rest come, actually, uh, <laughs> it's funny because like, there's a conference that I think has more players than even the SEC on my list because I thought the ACC was loaded in this recruiting class. Um, but I don't know, man. Josh Rosen, I don't even know if he'd make my top eight in this class. Okay.
1: Well, who who do you have number five?
0: Number five, I have Derwin James out of Florida State, defensive back. He was also the fifth overall ranked recruit in the original cycle, so he's stuck right where yeah, he is. Real, but
1: real, real original, it, Zach. Um, uh, you
0: know, he sticks at the same position here, Brandon, but he probably outplayed his number five ranking anyways. But I think the top four people are gonna end up going down as college football legends, especially my top three. Um And that's probably going to be a recurring storyline throughout the segment. I mean, me and Brandon have had players that ended up at five, like Miles Garrett, who probably is, is one of the best players of our generation, but just because there's so many good players in that class. I mean, the reason that Derwin is not higher on my list, Brandon, is because his sophomore season was cut short due to injury. He only played two games his sophomore season, but he still already had 11 tackles and an interception in those games, but... Throughout his career, James for me showed the versatility and his ability to play all over the field. I mean, he played outside cornerback, slot cornerback. He played either safety spot and even walked down and played in the box as almost like an outside linebacker. I mean, he has a weird, I, I okay, weird might not be the word, a unique size, 6'3, 215, and he's hyper athletic. I mean, In his career, he had over 185 tackles, 15 of those for losses of safety, Brandon. Had five and a half sacks, three interceptions. One of those went back for touchdowns, 15 passes defended, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. He was top six in his conference for passes defended in 17, and also averaged 28 yards per kick return in 2017. I mean, for me... James is one of the best DVs in recent history and has even carried that talent. We can't look at the NFL, but I would say Derwin James has had a very successful NFL career so far. uh, And that might be an understatement. He's probably one of the best DVs in the league. And I think Florida State, if they could, would absolutely have Derwin James back.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, fantastic. I mean –
0: yeah, so I'm, I'm taking Derwin James over Josh Rosen. And I just want to say, and since we're snaking, I'm taking this number four player over Derwin James as well. And that is Christian Wilkins out of Clemson. Um, he was the number 24 overall player in this class. Originally, he, he played all over the defensive line for Clemson and was an intricate part in, in the in their national championships they have. And he's actually one of my favorite players of recent memory. I really like this kid. And I think he's one of the most unique blends of talent on the defensive line. Brandon, did you know Dabo let him play DB in their spring game his
1: senior year? I, no, I did not know that. That's very interesting.
0: He's six four three hundred and ten pounds, Brandon, but guess what in his sophomore season was top ten in the a c c and passes defended
1: okay, pretty good
0: that's and in his career has two rushing touchdowns and one receiving touchdown um Wilkins was trusted by Dabo and I think he's one of the most athletic defensive tackles we've ever seen. I mean, to be over 300 pounds and have the athletic ability to keep up in the secondary, even as a joke in the spring game, is pretty outrageous. But I mean, throughout his career as a defensive tackle racked up over 190 tackles. 40 and a half tackles for loss, Brandon, 16 sacks as an interior defensive lineman, and four first fumbles. And for me, the reason he's up over Derwin is because he started 11 or more games all four years at Clemson. He was pretty much a four year starter. And for me, he was, he was a He was probably outside of maybe Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, probably one of the most intricate pieces in making Clemson the powerhouse it is today. I mean, He was part of that defensive line group with Dexter Lawrence and um, Colin uh, Farrell, who came back for their senior season when they were all going to be first round picks and won the national championship in 2018. And for me, Wilkins is going to go down as probably one of the best defensive linemen in Clemson and ACC history and He also has the personality on the field to make him more remembered than maybe someone a little bit more reserved like Miles Garrett. And I think Christian Wilkins is underrated, and I think he falls at four for me here.
1: Yeah, Zach, and I couldn't agree with you anymore. As a matter of fact, I actually have him at number four as well. Um, So that worked out really well. You did all the talking for me, so now I can just move on to number three.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: So my number three player, I mentioned I had two quarterbacks in this list. And everyone who knows me knows – that I let one year uh, do all the talking for me, and that's why I'm going with Kyler Murray at number three here. Uh, Kyler Murray was what was he? he was like uh, I can't remember his ranking in, in in this list. I think it was. 30, he was 34th. 34. 34th. Yeah, he was 34th um, going into going into college. Obviously committed to Texas A&M. Um, his freshman season, he played in eight games. Uh, I, I mean, he, he did what he did. You know, he, he was Not great. He was, not Not great (laughs) not great and then he then he went to Oklahoma and played behind Baker Mayfield so he ended up playing in seven games because that Oklahoma team was just dominant um yeah I I mean he didn't do much there he only he only um I believe he only had 21 passing attempts that season not great but you know what he did his junior season he went on led Oklahoma and won the Heisman Trophy. with just an out, I mean, I'm talking absolutely insane year. Uh, he had a 69% uh, completion percentage with 4,400 yards passing. He averaged 12 yards uh, a pass, um, 42 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Like I said, he won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I, I mean, what else is there to say? <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel like I'm running out of words uh, on today's segment. I, I don't know why. Um <laughs> I really couldn't tell you why. I I'm, I'm trying my best, guys. I'm so sorry. It,
0: but if there's a player you shouldn't run out of words for is Kyler Murray. I mean what, that kid was saying.
1: amazing. I mean he did all this at, at like what five ten? This this kid's ridiculous.
0: Maybe. I think yeah. if he was wearing high heels.
1: Play, playing in the major leagues as well. I uh, I mean this 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 guy is just an athlete and I mean he might be the shortest, best quarterback in the NFL right now for sure and, and and maybe for for a long time coming now. R- R- Russell
0: Russell Wilson wants to have a word with you but I'll let well, it slide. Well, Russell Wilson's but a little bit taller. Uh, but we don't have a we don't have an NFL podcast so we could debate that another time but do not disrespect my man Russell like that. But I'm just gonna skip ahead. Brandon Collar was number two on my list and this is the second Heisman winner that's come in second on my list. And I I, I know that might sound outrageous, but this class was just insane, and like Brandon said, his freshman year A and I mean six six hundred eighty six yards in eight games. That's all right, but he had five touchdowns and seven interceptions. Yeah, I mean it, it's just tough, and the reason he falls to two for me, he should he probably could have been one, but he really only had one good year, like Brandon said. And my number one player um, played a, pretty much all four years at a bigger program and did just as well and like Brand highlighted his stats but i just want to say this i mean his passing yards and passing touchdowns ranked third in the country guys in the entire country and he had only seven interceptions and he threw the ball over 370 times that hit in his last season and he was the fifth leading rusher in the big 12 as a quarterback with over a thousand yards rushing almost 1100 and he was fourth in the big 12 with 12 rushing touchdowns i mean and Brandon mentioned the Hosman Trophy, but people forget how close that Hossman race was I mean Tua had one of the be- one of the best statistical seasons we've ever seen for a quarterback, and Murray outdid him and it yeah. should just show how dominant he was and not only the Hosman Trophy Brandon he won a p player of the year, big twelve offensive player of the year, the Davy O'Brien, and the manning award all in one year i mean. He is. He probably had, outside of you know this past season with Joe Burrow, but at the time, he had one of the most decorated seasons of all time for a quarterback, for a player. Yeah. And if Murray could have put together the longevity on his resume, then I think he easily would have been my number one player in the class. But I just want to say this, guys. He might be two, but Kyler Murray is going to be looked back upon as one of the best players to ever play college football. And he'll go down as one of the best quarterbacks of our generation. And... I don't think we should. We could take anything from him, even though he had a slow start at A&L. Because, let's be honest, at that time, A&L wasn't really built for anybody other than Johnny Manziel. I mean, sure. we can could, we, we could be honest here. But I'll skip backwards. I know this is kind of confusing, but I wanted to get my word in on Kyler Murray. Uh, my number three player, Brandon, probably my favorite linebacker that I've ever watched in my lifetime. And that's Roquan Smith. Okay. And out of Georgia, he was the 48th ranked player overall. And I don't think there was a play when he started where Smith wasn't making the tackle or at least was a key in stopping that play. And I think Smith might have been the most talented player in the class, but like Kyler Murray, he didn't put it together for all four years. He only fully started two years. At Georgia, and it's still in those two years, Brandon over two hundred and fifty tackles, twenty for loss, six and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, and three fumble recoveries. I mean, in two thousand seventeen, he led the SEC in solo tackles and was top five nationally. He was top five in forced fumbles in sixteen and top three in tackles for loss in two thousand seventeen. And you you won awards on this list. He won the Buckus Award, the SEC Defensive Player of the Award, and was like a consensus All American. And there was talk late in the season that he sh- might should get a Hosman vote because he was the best defensive player of that year. And 2017 is the year that Roquan and this Georgia Bulldogs team went all the way and was really one play away from winning the national championship over Alabama. And that Georgia team is probably one of the even I, I'm sorry, this might be a little controversial. I know Georgia won a championship in the 80s. That Georgia team is probably the best Georgia team of all time. Honestly, and they just fell victim to a really, really good Alabama team on a bomb second and what, twenty sixth play. But for me, I think Smith is probably the best linebacker that's ever come out of Georgia in a long line of elite linebacking talent. And I think he's probably one of the better linebackers in SEC history. And, you know, it makes it outrageous that he's only third in this class. But once you hear my number one player, it's all going to make sense to you guys.
1: Okay, so with my number two player, I'll go and move forward. Um, I've got a player everyone knows that I'm I'm an offensive minded guy so I, I don't know I, I have Saquon Barkley um, I think over his career he had just absolutely consistent insane numbers obviously capped off with the 2016 season that uh, I mean he just went absolutely insane but even his freshman season at Penn State you know he started 11 games uh, he had 182 carries for 1076 yards You know, he averaged 5.9 yards of carry, seven touchdowns that year. Um, Well, eight total, seven on the ground. Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty good for a freshman in the Big Ten, especially at a program like Penn State. Moving forward on to his 2016 season, his sophomore year, uh, he started 14 games with Penn State. He had 272 carries, 1,496 yards, five and a half uh, yards per carry, 18 rushing touchdowns, led the Big Ten in in rushing touchdowns. Four receiving touchdowns, and he started returning kicks that year. He didn't do a whole lot that year in, in terms of uh, kick returns. But his junior season, his final season at Penn State, he had 217 carries for for nearly 1,300 yards, 5.9 a carry, 18 rushing touchdowns again led the SC, or led the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns once again, um, and, and he had three receiving touchdowns and and I think. I'm not going to say the most impressive part. Uh, I will say the most impressive part is, is that he added on these kick returns um, you know, onto his repertoire. Uh, he had 15 kick returns over the uh, span of the season for nearly 500 yards, and he took two to the house. Uh, I mean, he averaged 28.4 yards per return uh, his, his junior season. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely crazy that he wasn't even uh, – he didn't really win awards in college either, which is a really crazy thing. Yeah, I mean, he got Offensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten uh, in 2016 and 2017. But, I mean, other than that, he, he wasn't up for any awards. And, I mean, I think that's just uh, a testament to how stacked this class was. But for, for me, he kind of flies under the radar for players in this class. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to say that Saquon Barkley flies under the radar, but I truly think he did here.
0: Brandon's out here cheating, not using the composite. I was sitting here. I was like, man, I did not see Saquon in the top 100. But he was 120th in the composite, 80th in the 247. So I was like, did I totally overlook Saquon? I did not. But we'll let Brandon slide there. I like Saquon. He would probably be in my top five if... If I was saw if in the composite he was in the top 100, I was sitting there. I was like, I went back through while you were talking. I was like, there's no way I missed Saquon because yeah, like saw I got him,
1: everyone I saw else's him at name. 77. And I was like, I was like, yeah, 77. Let's do it.
0: Uh, killing me. So I thought you were gonna go with like Darius guys for somebody, you know, being no, the LSU fan you I, are. I left,
1: I left Darius guys off of this list, which is nuts. Uh, I know that I probably should have. <laughs> you know, I should have. I should have let my biases get the best of me, but I figured number one, yeah well, my number one. My number one should be a Dante surprise. Jackson. What's that? I said you
0: want Dante Jackson at number one.
1: No, I'll put Blake Barnett at number one. Actually, um, oh, that's, all, that's real bad. I know it's tough. No, my number one player is a player that continues to impress me even to this day, um, and I don't think that you're going to have him, Zach. Which is kind of nuts to me that he's not going to end up on your list. I heard you say you had a four-year player on your list. Um, I've got a player that that finished after his junior season, um, in Mika, uh, Fitzpatrick. Yeah. And Mika no, Fitzpatrick. yeah, it's mine. Oh, I, I it? said
0: four. I meant three. It's Mika. Like, it's not even close. I
1: was about to say I was I was about to burn yeah. you up. Uh, yeah, On this
0: on on this podcast, I've said Mika Fitzpatrick is my personal favorite player that I've ever watched in my life, outside of maybe Reggie Bush, my favorite defensive player.
1: Well, Zach, go ahead and take it away because I'm I'm obviously pretty short on my words today and there there, there should be a lot to say oh, about mika Fitzpatrick. I, I,
0: I got you covered guys i mean my respect for this guy runs deep, and i think he's underappreciated i mean i hate alabama guys i mean my hatred for alabama runs even deeper but mika fitzpatrick was amazing to watch it you know i watched the, most of his games and for me brandon this you know this is not a hot take at all in my opinion i think he's the best sec defensive back of all time oh absolutely. and and he comes in at number one. And if you want to, if you want to argue, hit us up in the comments when we post this episode. Let us know. We can bring you on the pod. It don't matter. We can go at it because Mika Fitzpatrick's number one. I mean, as a safety, uh, over 170 tackles, 16 and a half for loss, nine interceptions. And he took four of those interceptions for touchdowns. He had 24 passes defended, two forced fumbles. And this is all while playing in the toughest conference of college football at the time. And. You want decorations, you want awards, a two-time Consensus all American, a Benark Award winner, and a Thorpe Award winner. And his just ability to be all over the field at all times is just has blown my mind. He has the explosiveness unlike any player I think I've ever watched. And he's 11th in the in incidentally history in interceptions taken back for touchdowns, and he's third in SEC history. And he's also top 20 in SEC history in passes defended all time and that's as a safety that's not even as a main corner right and he led the sec in interceptions in 2016 and you know he was top 11 in interception return yards in sec history and i mean it's just it blows my mind man and you know nick Saban's not one to gush about players but if you don't think Mika fitzpatrick was the most trusted and beloved defensive players or just players all time under Nick Saban, just go watch some of the interviews, man. Nick Saban loves this kid. Nick Saban understands how talented this kid is. And I think if if it came back to it and they got to re-rank this class, I think every single school in the country would put Mika Fitzpatrick one. I just want to say this. He is so underappreciated because of where he went. If he was doing this stuff on any other team other than Alabama, because they're so loaded and he probably got helped by so-and-so and this and that, it's like, I promise you Mika Fitzpatrick would be more appreciated if he went and played at, let, let's say, Michigan or Washington or Oregon or something like that. But Mika Fitzpatrick is going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame one day. And I think experts will look back as rank Mika as one of the best DBs to ever play college
1: football. Absolutely. And, and you might even be underselling it, Zach, because this guy, it's not only all the stats that we that you've mentioned to this point. It's it's somewhat like the intangible things too. like he's just one of those guys that you want in the locker room. He's a guy that made the guys around him play better. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he's your favorite player that you've seen <laughs> play. Um, it, it, and that that I mean, that should be a testament in and of itself. This guy is just a fun guy to watch play. Um, obviously we're not talking about the NFL, but if we were, I think everything we just said still rings true. I mean, he is,
0: I must say he's, he's on his way. I, I mean, like, I don't like to put like, I guess too much expectations on a player, but his trajectory is, is NFL hall of fame right now. He, he is, him and Derwin are the, and maybe Jamal Adams are the three best. You know, safety slash hybrid type guys out there, and I think Minka. Even if he, you know, moved the corner like the Dolphins were kind of playing him at, he's one of the best corners in the NFL as well.
1: Yeah, Zach, and you want to you want to make yourself feel bad for a second, real quick.
0: This uh, is the, I guess this, we can.
1: This is the class of 2015. What class were we had? Yeah, that, that, that's and, a, that's and, the same class we we were yeah, in. Yeah, and here's what we're doing. I mean, we just talked about Kyler Murray and Mika Fitzpatrick and Saquon Barkley, and now we're Christian Wilkins. I mean, well, now we're just we're just talking about these guys. You know, there's no podcast also, uh, talking I've, about us,
0: right? I mean, they're making millions of dollars to play. You know, they get like you know football. Every the game, you know, everyone listened to this, and we love. And we're sitting here not 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 doing that. We're not making millions for this. We just. Talking about how you know, I wish I was Mika Fitzpatrick. I guess <laughs>
1: <laughs> Zach looks up to him like a father, but but he's probably who he is, who might is, be older th- than him.
0: <laughs> I must say, I actually could be older than him, um, but I don't know. And you know, this one kind of hits home too because you know. I, going into the draft after Mika declared, you know, I was a Dolphins fan. We were drafting 11th, and I'm like, there's no way Mika is going to fall to 11. But like he, I, I said, you can go look up my Twitter, whatever. I was saying Mika Fitzpatrick was the best player in this draft, and he fell to 11. The Dolphins got him. I was celebrating, and then we trade him. And I'm yeah. like, what are we doing here? What we traded him and Laramie Tunsell, like two guys who were supposed to be top five picks that fell to us in the draft, and we just got rid of them. I don't and, know. You know. To me,
1: to me, it's I understand the Dolphin, and we're turning this into an NFL podcast quick. I understand the NFL. Ah, the Dolphins are trying to rebuild. I feel like Mika Fitzpatrick's a pretty good player to rebuild around. Yeah, you, you know what? You know,
0: don't don't call me an expert here. I just have a you know college football podcast, but you know, I feel like <laughs> I played Madden franchise enough that like if you're rebuilding, uh, don't you get rid of the old players on expensive contracts, not the two best players at their position on rookie contracts? I mean, I felt like that was if if there was a book written on how to rebuild a franchise, wouldn't that be page like at least two?
1: Uh, yeah probably i don't know the dolphins have a lot they're of paying him out. like
0: 500k a year and they're like you know what he's too expensive we gotta move him and it's like <laughs> for what
1: draft picks that, and, you know they're just and, gonna keep, yeah. they're gonna keep at it with these draft picks which they're just wasting away anyway.
0: yeah, yeah. you know who really wishes they had mika fitzpatrick Tua, so that he get the ball back so he can get sacked another six times it's just i'm upset I'm really like, you know, if we had an NFL podcast, I'd be way more salty than I am on this basketball podcast because right. being a Dolphins fan, man, that's it's healthier to do a lot of other things than be a Dolphins fan. <laughs> I won't get into the details, but there's a long list of things that you should rather do than be a Dolphins fan.
1: Yeah, Zach, you said it best. Before you have a heart attack, let's go ahead and move on. Though.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, we'll 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 go on to another segment. Uh, not in the NFL, we're going to go down a league into high school. Uh, you know, and as we usually do, we end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. Um, check out what the past two months of episodes to catch up on updates. And we head to Louisville, Kentucky, to analyze the Louisville Cardinals 2021 class here, and they're trying to follow up a really good class last season, a top 10 ACC class. And Scott, Scott Satterfield is looking to build another ACC contender in the coming seasons. And this class is headlined four top 500 recruits. Listen, guys, tailor your expectations. We're talking about Louisville here. We're going to get into teams that they are not going to have a top 100 recruit. To have four top 500 recruits for louisville is excellent so tailor your expectations here i know all of us that root for teams that are you know uh, always get top 100 recruits but try to keep things in perspective for you guys but the cardinals still have a lot of spots open they're in contention for some pretty good prospects and um so brandon what is your take on this class and you know we've all remember the lamar jackson years when louisville was a national contender can scott Satterfield get this class together and get Louisville back to that national prominence.
1: Well, you you certainly have to hope so. And and kind of leaning back onto the uh, onto the last segment a little bit. I I mean they landed Lamar Jackson, which do you remember where he was ranked in the composite zach Uh he was very, very low. He was not ranked in the composite, which is insane to say, and then we saw where he turned out. So that I mean, I guess anything's possible especially in Louisville. Um to me, it's crazy to see a team that just two seasons ago, what was their record? I mean, they, were they were they zero and twelve?
0: I think they were one and eleven, if I'm not mistaken, or like two and ten. They were ve- they, they had a really bad year, but this past year they bounced back really well.
1: They they bounced back really well. I mean, just to think that two years ago they had that record, and now their recruiting class is ranked 18th in the country, they're fourth in the ACC. Um, I mean that's rebounding from last season when they were when they were forty two they were forty second nationally and seventh in the ACC. I understand they have eighteen hard commits already, which is kind of high for right now, but that's not a terrible thing. I mean they have two four star players, and before you know exactly, like we've tailored our expectations. Louisville's a team that's like relatively new to the Power Five. I mean it's just been in the past decade or so that they moved up to Power Five. They moved up to the ACC, um, so. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely tailor your expectations, but there's a lot of very quality players in the in this uh, um, in, in this recruiting cycle. And, and the crazy thing is, Zach, you know how many recruits they have from Kentucky? Not a single one. They're yep, recruiting exactly. They're recruiting all over the place. I mean, they have four recruits from Florida, four from Georgia, four from North Carolina. I mean, they're hitting all these huge hubs of, of talent, and and they're doing it looks like really well because they have 18 hard commits at this point.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm absolutely impressed with the national impact this class has. I mean, Brandon, you mentioned it, no recruits from Kentucky, but they have Washington, Illinois, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and other states here. And I was really shocked because I was not expecting to see that from Louisville, who a lot consider still a kind of rebuilding program here. But and for a COVID altered recruiting season for them to be going out and getting these recruits from all these other states is i i don't know how they're doing it
1: yeah it, you know and and you mentioned it already but they have one recruit from washington and they have one recruit uh from i'm sorry two from illinois but their recruits from washington and illinois are up there at the top of their of their uh recruiting class i mean jure williams Obviously, he's an outside linebacker from from Washington. Uh, Who knows how they landed him? Four star guy. I mean, an absolute monster. And then, second on their list is Benjamin Perry, another four star player out of Chicago. Uh, And Louisville is making this much of an impact. And I think you have to give a lot of thanks to Lamar Jackson for that. And those years that they were so great. I mean, you could even give thanks to players like Makai Becton. I mean, you see these players taken so high that, I mean, there, there's these recruits that actually want to go play for Louisville and go be developed by Louisville. And, it, you know, it, it's kind of mind boggling to see this, this rebuilding program, like you said, pick up these caliber recruits.
0: Yeah. And I mean, for me, like, I think Louisville is one of the more underrated teams, I guess, in the country. Like people don't really consider them a powerhouse because they're not right now, but I think we've seen multiple coaches go there and be successful. And I think you just have to have the right coach that can. So for me, so programs like I would say like Louisville, Kentucky, these like mid-major kind of like in power five conferences, but have the potential. But you have to have the coach that can that understands how to develop talent. I think K-State falls in there, too. It has potential. But Oklahoma State, you have to have a coach that can develop talent, not just. Go out and get five stars all the time. Like you have to be comfortable with getting these lower four, three star, two star recruits and turning them into superstars. Kind of like you saw with Lamar Jackson. I think, I think when you're coaching or recruiting at a mid major program like this, I think you have to be better at recruiting than even someone like Nick Saban is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, you really, you really, really do. Because I mean, where is that draw to Louisville? <laughs> Which. What college player or what, what high school player in this country, like look outside of, I guess, Kentucky, which it's kind of crazy because they don't have any recruits from Kentucky at this point, um, really look at Louisville and say, you know what, that's where I want to go. I want to go play for Louisville. There's not a lot of them, but, but the ones that do uh, have to be persuaded somehow. And it looks like Louisville's doing a great job of that.
0: Yeah. And speaking of that, I just want to move on to the recruits here. I mean, their top recruit in the class is Jair Williams um, and 325th overall player, 24th outside linebacker out of Washington. I mean, their top recruit is out of Washington, guys, all the way across the country. And I just want to say this. I watched this kid's film. I've done a little bit of research on this kid. He might be listed as an outside linebacker, but... I think he's more of a safety to be completely honest. And depending on how he develops with his size and what the, what the Cardinals need here, I think, I think Williams is going to be a safety. I mean, he's hyper athletic and he's super, super physical. And those are the two traits that I think stand out in his film. And, He has excellent ball skills for someone listed as a linebacker, and I think that makes him very, very dangerous. If he puts on a little bit of weight, fills out his frame, and moves down into the box, I mean, throwing across the middle or sending, you know, covering tight ends and stuff. I think Williams can be real, real dangerous in that in that type of um, ability. And he's a two sport athlete, Brandon, in football and basketball. And his dad was actually a first round NBA draft pick in 2009 from the Nets. And so he comes from an extremely athletic background. And I think that basketball background helps him in coverage because he has the, he has the agility and side to side movement to really roam the middle of the field. And I think he's going to be a dangerous middle of the field safety and that he's really going to excel in run support. I mean, Brandon, he's a junior in high school. He's 6'3", 197 right now. And for me, that's too small to be a linebacker in the ACC. And I think he's got to get to at least 210, 215, maybe even more, right? I mean, a 6'3", 205 safety is, is going to be a problem, and I think his size and strength are the two biggest critiques based on his film and all the research I've done. But I think both can be approved, improved upon once he reaches the campus with the proper weightlifting program, proper nutritional program, and just the proper coaching and the the ability Louisville has been has shown to develop some of these players. I think Williams is going to be an ex- excellent addition to this team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you there more. I, I think he's an absolutely. I mean, he, he's a crazy good player. Um, moving him back to safety is going to be a problem. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be a huge safety. Um, you know, and, and I think that he has a full. I mean, he has another full year to put on more weight before he gets to college. Then he has an entire off season before he starts actually playing assuming he signs uh he, he enrolls early um then he's got time with his team to to grow to put on more muscle mass and he could end up pa- uh, playing outside linebacker and i say all of this to kind of preface um zach and i normally do a player that kind of flies under the radar um, i'm gonna go ahead and do mine zach i don't know if you had more to say but i'm gonna go ahead and do my player that's flying yeah, under go the ahead radar. Brad. Yeah, so I've got Jackson Hamilton um, out of Roswell, Georgia. Uh, I mentioned how, how Louisville is really going out and and, and taking these players uh, from these states that have, I mean, just great, great football talent. And I think Georgia is one of those states, and I, I think that Jackson Hamilton's just, I mean, the epitome of of that state. I, I mean, this guy, he's an inside linebacker. Uh, he's listed at 6'1", 205 which, again, Zach already mentioned it, that's small for an outside linebacker. This guy is recruited to play inside linebacker in the ACC. Uh, But like I said, I think he's got time to grow. I I think he's got time to get a little bit bigger. I think 6'1 is a good height for an inside linebacker. Uh, I think he puts on a little bit more muscle mass. Maybe he can uh, truly play that position. Uh, Like I said, he has a little bit of time to develop. But watching this guy's film, I mean, he's just an absolute headhunter. He's going to fill those gaps, but not only that, he can drop back into coverage. One interesting thing that I did see about his film is that this kid also played played both sides of the ball in high school. He played linebacker. He also played running back. And this man is absolutely filthy when it comes to the running back position. I mean, he is not afraid to run you over, and I think that translates really well um, into his linebacking ability. You know, He's a player that's going to make the big hits. Uh, Not only the big hits, he's going to make the hits that matter when – uh, maybe it's not straight up. Maybe he's chasing you from another side of the field. But this guy can get it done. I think that he's going to be a serious problem in Louisville.
0: Yeah, because I think he he also played multiple positions. I believe. Um, I think he played a little bit of DB and safe, and just I think he played both CB and safety. And so I think yeah, he's a versatile he came, player. And that,
1: he came from a pretty sm- uh pretty small high school. He came from Blessed Trinity yeah. Catholic which is uh it's a class 7 quadruple a high school so not not the biggest high school that you can get in Georgia um you know a fairly small school um but i mean they were state champions and and i think you have to give this guy a lot of credit for that state championship
0: yeah i i, I like the i like him a lot um i do want to talk about uh Benjamin Perry he's the number 2 recruit in the class um Oddly enough, he's also he's a safety, so it's kind of funny that I thought the number one guy was going to project it as, as a safety. But uh, Perry's another three hundred thirtieth ranked type player, twenty first safety out of Chicago, another state, not you know Kentucky, and he dominated last year uh, throughout the Chicago league. I mean, seventy five tackles, nine interceptions, one of those taken back for a touchdowns as a safety. Uh, that's outrageous to have that many interceptions. You see that a lot, maybe from high school cornerbacks, but not safeties. And his, his best, his best skill is the ability to roam the middle of the field. And he is, he's pretty fast on film. I mean, um, he doesn't have a, a verified 40 time though, but based on his film, he's going to have plenty of speed to fit into any system. And he, when, when the is thrown man, he can break on it and he can pick it off or break up the pass immediately. And, uh, he has really good size, in my opinion, for a safety. I mean, he's 6'3", 190, uh, maybe 200, 205, like I said, is going to be perfect. And I think I think he has the frame to carry that weight, but he's long, rangy, and he stays engaged with wide receivers early, and he can make athletic plays on the ball because he has really, really long arms. And there's a few spots in the film where he jams the receiver at the line, and he turns those... He, he, usually turns this place into picks or broken up passes. If the quarterback some, for some reason throws his way. And I really like Perry and if Perry develops like he should, I think Perry and Williams are going to make for a very, very dangerous duo in Louisville, especially on the backside of that defense. And, you know, so for my underrated prospect, Brandon loves this, but I mean, listen, guys, I love 247 and their rankings, their composite, their individual, whatever. But sometimes I see this prospect and I wonder, how did they miss on this guy? And today, Brandon, he's probably the lowest ranked recruit I've ever – he's technically not ranked. But I did some research. He is the 1,325th ranked recruit in the country. He's the lowest ranked recruit in this recruiting class out in North Carolina, and it's Raheem Craig. Um okay. and he – I think he, he – right now they have him projected as a DN, Brandon, but you know ACC fo- – Power 5 football, ACC football, at 6'3", 2'12", that's probably too small to play defensive end in the ACC. Right. Um, and, but I think even though he's the lowest-ranked commit and he's small, he could have the greatest potential out of everyone in this class. And I think Buck or outside linebacker is going to be in his future, but this kid has – elite pass rushing skills one click on this kid's film and you're like okay this kid's for real how is he not even in the top a thousand recruits and i think it's because the area of north carolina where he played is very small and a lot of these small town recruits don't get the benefit of the doubt that some of the players in bigger districts get and i think his hand movement is some of the best i've seen where, I mean, blockers can't get their hands on him, and he has ex- excellent, excellent uh, just defensive skills to get those offensive tackles' hands off of him. And being so small, he has excellent bend around the corner, and most of these offensive tackles that he plays against aren't athletic enough to really defend him, and he, he tears them up, Brandon. I mean, last season, Brandon, as a defensive end, 89 tackles, 21.5 tackles for loss, 10.5 sack, and three forced fumbles.
1: I was about to say, uh, you know, watching his tape because I mean, I watched it preparing for this segment. Um, he has, he is, he just has like six minutes of tape that are they're all tackles for loss. It's insane, like sacks. I mean, catching the running back as soon as the ball is handed off. This guy is a monster, and I don't understand how he flew under the radar either.
0: I mean, for an undersized defensive end to have ten and a half sacks, twenty-one and a half tackles for loss, and almost a hundred tackles as a DN—that's that's outstanding i don't care what district you play in. i don't care how big you are that's outrageous and based on his film any size that craig may be lacking the physical play he brings to the field makes up for it i mean brandy you watch this film i mean the the film is full of blockers being blown up big hits playmaking ability that you know he 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 will bring his 100 and 110 every single play and i think I think that's more important than size at this point, especially as a junior, because we've seen people had growth spurt to way later than junior year of high school.
1: Absolutely.
0: So if this kid shoots up, he easily, easily could have the talent of a four or five star recruit and be at Louisville as an unranked recruit.
1: Right. And you mentioned the thing about him just blowing up blockers. I, I believe, if I remember, if I remember correctly, the, the very first play on his huddle highlights, it was they 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 handed the ball off to a running back and they had a fullback blocking for him and he just I mean I'm talking about body, this fullback and then I must say he tackled both of them at
0: the same time he <laughs> tackled nuts. them at the exact same time it was outrageous and guys if you're looking for these huddle highlights I don't want to you know we do this audio only podcast we can't really put the we can't visualize this stuff for you but two four seven has all the huddle highlights on all the players profiles that have them go check out some of these. Underrated players, and let us know what you think. But yeah, Brandon. I mean, he tackled both of them immediately. It was like set hut handoff bang. He was right there, and I I love it. And I think he red shirts Brandon. Let's be honest here. I mean, you're coming in as a not even a top 1,200 recruit. You're going to red shirt, especially at a place like Louisville. And I think after one to two years of weight training, development, practice, just just pure development as he ages and grows into his body, I think Craig is going to be one of the best ACC defensive linemen outside linebackers buck, whatever, whatever he ends up projecting. I don't want to project how he grows. I mean, that's outrageous to try to guess. But I think he projects as a late-round draft pick for me. I can see him going third, fourth, fifth round, something like that, if everything goes according to plan, which I'm sure, you know, Craig – uh, is gonna try his best, and a lot of these underrated guys. So I just want to say this: I mean, a lot of the guys who you might not know of that were very, very under recruited come in with the chip on their shoulder, and they're the guys you have to watch out for because those are the guys that are going to be in the weight room every day. There's, there's those are the guys that are going to be trying to make the team because they're not guaranteed a spot on the team. If you recruit a five star, he knows you ain't cutting them, right? He knows that. You know, and you see a lot of five stars come in, and then you hear the reports of them transferring because they didn't want to work hard enough, or they thought they were just guaranteed the starting job. But I, I don't think I don't think you have to de. So everyone talks about de-recruiting. I'm sure Brandon's heard it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard it. Where you have to de-recruit players when they get to campus. Well, when you're the thirteenth hundredth ranked player in the country, I don't think you have to de-recruit him very much. No, you he don't. knows he knows that his leash is much shorter than you know, the best player in the class or a a wrestler from last year. I mean, he knows he has to prove to the coaches every day that he belongs on a team and he deserves a jersey number and deserves to be on that field. So I I think Craig's going to be amazing and he might be the lowest ranked recruit I've talked about, but he's one of the ones I'm more confident about will turn out to be an excellent player.
1: Absolutely, Zach. And I agree with you a million percent. Uh, it's very exciting to see this Louisville program bounce back from the depths where they were when Lamar Jackson left um, to now. Uh, it, it's it's very exciting to see that this program's turned everything around.
0: Yeah, guys. I mean, ACC is coming up. I mean, Pitt, Louisville, Virginia Tech, Virginia just had a good season. Duke's been kind of on the upswing. I mean, we already have Clemson, Florida State looks like it might be turning stuff around. Uh, Miami's right there. Uh, the ACC is going to be good in the upcoming years. I don't want to hear that schedule argument anymore because there's some, there's some good teams chilling gotcha. in the ACC. But, guys, that, that is a wrap on the episode. Three segments still brought you guys an hour, though. We deliver week in and week out. Um, but rate the podcast uh subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen man we're available literally everywhere if you don't know where to find us go to our website the links to where ev- everywhere you can find the podcast up there you want to go to youtube we're on youtube the blue Blood cfp podcast on there um instagram at the underscore blue bloods facebook at the blue bloods pod uh what am i say? twitter uh at the underscore underscore blue bloods find us everywhere man we post clips to our episodes we post all kind of different stuff articles coming y'all's way big announcements coming y'all way uh so stay tuned for that listen man we appreciate all of you guys listening um but until then guys we will be back thursday with another episode but um keep subscribing keep listening bro we'll keep dropping episodes but for right now we out